Hello, welcome back. You're listening to the 24 Faithful Podcast. I'm Bradley, joined this week, as always, by Joel Wood. Joel, how's it going? Going great, Bradley. I'm excited to talk about Season 8, as I know you are. Yeah, that makes one of us, because I'm not massively excited to talk about Season 8, but we'll get into that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into why I'm, I'm not so excited to talk about it, but indeed, we are here to talk about Season 8. We finished Season 7 last week. And we are on what is, I suppose, sort of the final stretch of the uh, 24 review podcast, given we only have season eight and live another day remaining. Um, But that's still a lot of content to get through. So season eight, we pick up um, about 18 months after we left season seven. Uh, Jack and Kim are in New York now after being in DC and in season seven. Um, Jack's treatment for his exposure to the pathogen is complete. He's fine. Uh, this also takes place, incidentally, about 14 and a half years after day one. So that's just uh, an illustration of the timeline from the start of the series to what was originally the end of the series. Um, first thing we need to talk about is Jack generally, because he, we, we see him here and he has kind of become a bit of a family man. He's playing or he's looking after his granddaughter, Terry, um, has that brilliant line of with, with Terry of saying, like, she calls him Jack. You're supposed to call me grandpa. You don't look like a grandpa, um, which is absolutely wonderful. And then he is dragged back into action because Victor Aruz, his old contact, comes to him and says that President Omar Hassan is going to get assassinated. And Jack delivers or tries delivering him to CTU. Uh, Victor gets killed. Then Jack tries to get out after a debrief and Kim makes convinces him to stay. Um, and later he'll he'll stay, and we'll talk about Renee, but he stays because Renee is back into the game and he's concerned. But we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, first up, my my main question here is: Is Jack cursed? Is 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 Hella, we've, I feel like we've talked about this before, but it, Hella's right in that Jack's cursed, but maybe not in the way that he described him as being cursed. Because although it is true <clears throat> that most people around Jack end up dead or seriously maimed. There is also an element whereby Jack tries to get out multiple times here, and he just he he physically cannot do it. So I wonder if there is some sort of curse on him that makes him he has to be working for CTU or the government or someone to try and stop whatever attacks are happening. He there is no alternative for him. He cannot be the family man that he he clearly wants to be at the start of this season. Well. <clears throat> Jack Jack is like a drug dealer. Okay. When you're when you're a when you're a drug dealer, it's like what you start doing it is like an addiction and it's like impossible to get out of the drug game. And I find that to be a correct analogy here because no matter how much Jack says he wants to get out of get out of the game. He has some sort of an addiction and he just can't he just can't bear himself to walk away when there's people that need his help. And, you know, Jack has a slight problem saying no. And I think that is ultimately what, you know, gets most of the people close to him dead. Um, 
I mean, if you if you think about it, I mean, how many seasons now has he tried to get out of the game? How many seasons now has he been doing other things um, besides being at CTU and then get dragged back into it? I think in 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 the nine seasons of CT of of twenty four, I think he only spent what two at CTU as a, as a, as an employee of CTU. One and three. So, yeah, one and one and three, and the other the other seven, he's either working in a different department or he's doing something else with his life, and he gets pulled back in. So I just I I don't think he physically knows how to say no. And I think that's ultimately what I think that's ultimately what Heller was talking about in season six, that, you know, Jack has to be the one to save the day because he thinks that he's the only one that can do it. Yeah. And and there's an element to it as well, that when Kim convinced him to stay at CTU, she kind of trots out that line about how he'd never forgive himself if something happened to Hassan or to the peace process or to whatever. And there is very much that feeling to it. There, there are countless examples of scenarios. You know, you look at um, Andrew Page, the uh, the programmer, Chloe's friend in season four, that, you know, he, he was following the terrorist. He was following Khalil. And at th- that point, he had to make a choice of sort of following him instantaneously or saving Andrew. And obviously he saved Andrew because it's just something his conscience could live with, letting this innocent innocent kid die because... He's got to go and, go and follow the terrorists. He managed to make both work. And it's sort of an extension, I guess, of the season seven stuff that Jack makes choices he can live with. And leaving CTU at this point in season eight and, and giving up, or, or I say giving up, not getting involved, <clears throat> be a better way of putting it with the stopping of this this threat. I don't think he would be able to live with that choice if, God forbid something happened, you know, we'll get to that. But I, I think that's a big part of it too. Um, there is there is a lot of feeling of like one the one final mission to this season and, and particularly these first few episodes where you see it in, in your sort of your typical Bruce Willis is still doing action movies type things. Um, I'm thinking of the Red movies particularly. But it's it's very, well, yeah, I'll do this one last thing and then I'm out. And it's kind of inevitable that something will go wrong and he won't be able to get out. And we obviously will see that at the end of the season. Um, but I, I just thought that was there was there was that kind of feeling to it. Yeah, it's kind of like a. Uh, it's also kind of like a like a diehard kind of thing, um, because you know just about just about every diehard movie, um, you know he's out or he's trying to get out and you know when they need it when they need a mission they call him back in so i think that you know bruce willis and and uh or john mcclain and and jack bauer are kind of one in the same in that in that aspect but even even kim when when he was outside ctu and saying that he he was ready to go um, he, he kind of, Kim was kind of shocked. Like she was like, I've never known you to walk away from something like this. And I, and I think that that's what really, you know, her talk, her talk to, 
because he's also never told Chloe no. And the fact that Chloe asked for his help and he still said, you know, it's not my problem. So right off the bat, you know, Jack is going to extraordinary lengths to not get involved or to get out of while he still can. And the, the, the scene with him and Kim and Kim convincing him to stay is probably, you know how I feel about Kim. So it's, it's probably one of my favorite scenes that they've had. You know, just Kim and Jack. Mm. It is really nice. And actually, the, the thing with Jack is that he has, <laughs> like you say, he has tried to get out before. But every time I, I think of that, he said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting involved. This isn't my thing. I, I, you know, I think of the start of season two. I think of uh, season four. And, and, and these types of times that whenever he ultimately does get in, because you know that he will, um, it's him. <laughs> Making it, you know, season two, he sees the family and and is worried about the nuclear bomb. And season four, it's he realizes he can help and, and and all these things. It's all him realizing it. And here, if not for Kim, he wouldn't get back in. So I think that's a really powerful conversation they have, and and a really telling one. You're right. That is, it's fairly shocking that Jack is in this situation of if no one pushes him into CTU into working on this this mission, then he won't do it which isn't something we've ever seen before. Um, incidentally, I should just point out, it's it sort of on the same lines as my Edgar chat from a few months ago. Um, Kim is ultimately partly responsible for everything that happens to Jack during this season. But, you know, we'll leave, we'll leave that. That's not worth discuss, discussing. <laughs> yeah, don't, 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 don't even get me started on that. <laughs> no. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, so we mentioned President Hassan, the, the attempt on his life. Um, but of course, the reason he's in the United States and in New York is that he is engaged in a peace process with President Taylor and the rest of the world, basically. Um, he's the president of the fictional Islamic Republic of Kamistan. And basically, that region in, in, in the world has never seen peace or hasn't seen it in a very long time. And President Hassan is going to bring it. Um, in the grand scheme of political plots, I think this is the most thin. I don't think there's much to this. Beyond, you know, you've got think you you all the drama that happens within this plot tends to happen on a character level. And I'm thinking that obviously the assassination attempt, but the affair and the stuff with Farhad and the stuff with Tarin and the stuff with between Hassan and his daughter. And there's not much in the way of the actual politics of it in the way obviously season six handled it fairly horribly, but at least in season six, it was often about the politics. It was often about the policy and, and the decisions that they had to make. Whereas this just feels very, very thin. I know that, that, uh, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to get president Hassan over as a, as a sympathetic character. But if you if you listen to everything that happened from the point that it was revealed that his brother was working with the terrorists, it's just it's hard to feel sorry for him just because of the way he acts. Um, I mean, he's he acts more like a villain than he does a, a hero in several of those episodes. 
And, you know, it kind of makes me not feel sorry when he dies. Um, wow. Because, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, th- I mean, think about it. What did he actually, I mean, he, he was cheating on his wife. I mean, <laughs> you know, he, 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 he arrested, he arrested like thousands, like hundreds of people close to him, uh, which Karen, you know, he, he had the right to arrest him, but everybody else was just based on what his brother did. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, what redeeming qualities did he actually have? I mean, he obviously looked, him and his wife have been at odds for a while. So obviously, you know, this had been going on for a long time. So it's like, what redeeming qualities does he actually have that makes you want to feel sorry for him? Interesting take, actually. Um, yeah, I, I am a fan of Hassan. I think, I, well, the first thing I should say is Anil Kapoor is terrific. I, I absolutely love his portrayal of, of him in this series. Um, I think it's a fair point, though, to be honest, that he is, and, and this kind of lends into the, the whole thing about it being quite thin because it's all very big picture. You know, Taylor goes on throughout the season and, and Rob Wise and Ethan and everyone go on about the peace process and, and they have to complete the peace process. And so everything feels fairly detached and, and feels kind of like, well, it, it's too, everything's been done, everything exists. And, and so much of the the actual politicky stuff that happens in this season is very, very minor. The agreement in the first episode about the um, inspectors, the nationality of them. And then, of course, the, what, we, what we experience after his assassination attempt, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, that he's cracking down on the hardliners and, 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 and the people that are trying to plot against him. And it kind of just it reminds you of the reason that 24 and, and its political plots haven't often worked. It's because it's really dull. And, you know, real, real, real world comparison. I kind of long for a world where politics is quite dull, but never mind. Um, but, but that's the thing. And, and, and so from that aspect, there's not a whole lot to it. So you're right that it then does become, okay, what is Hassan like as a person? And I, I think you have actually nailed it. Um, that he's going behind his wife's back, having this affair. He is very harsh. And, and, and I think there is, there's a, there's a level of understanding I have with this because we look at the way that David Palmer treated uh, Roger Stanton and uh, the reporter Ron, uh, not uh, Ron, I think, Ron, Re- Ron Wheeland is his name um, in, in the midst of the nuclear bomb threat. And, and, the, the way that he handled that situation, but we supported him on that. And that was, yeah, David's right to do this. Um, with, with this, I think there is very much an understanding I, I would have of the fact that Hassan has just tried to be killed by his brother. He's got people opposing him from all sides and he needs to try and stay on, stay on side with whoever's still loyal to him um, and, and show that he is the leader of the IRK and, and can be the right leader for the IRK. Um, and, and he's right about his line. He has that, that line about how power is the only thing that his people recognize. So I think from that aspect, I can forgive him. Uh, the, the affair is less hard to forgive, I have to say. Well, uh, the, the affair was from like, what, episode one? 
that we that we kind of got that idea. Yeah. Um, but it's I just can't find the 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 will to. I mean, this is this is one of twenty four's favorite things, right? The the corruption in the government, the the mole aspect. It's it's. And I guess you know, since it's the final season of the original Twenty Four, they might as well just throw all the all the tropes out there, you know, the bombs and the moles and everything in between. But I understood why um, he kind of felt paranoid, you know, when his brother turned on him. But at the same time, before that even happened, he didn't do very much to warrant sympathy based on you know the affair and the way he acted um it just it just didn't feel like if i was watching the season for the first time i would think that he was a villain more than somebody that actually they're trying to save you know i would i would be under the impression that he was going to be the one to turn instead of his brother just based on the way he acted before that even happened. And I think, I don't know if that's acting, incredible acting on his part, or if 24 deliberately tried to write him that way. But if I was watching the season for the first time, I would think that he was the villain instead of the person that they're trying to save. It's interesting because that's completely at odds with everything that everyone in the show thinks about him, which is that they kind of consider him a saint you know, Taylor calls him a once in a generation president or once in a generation leader. I think it was, um, they all kind of put him on this pedestal of like, he, he's the savior. He's the one that's going to bring, bring peace to this region. He's, he's the one we have to, to, to work with and, and follow. So yeah, here <laughs> it's kind of jarring actually sort of watching that and, and having not really considered it, hearing you describe him like that, but I don't think you're wrong. I think, I think there is very much a feeling that, this guy is very flawed and, and and that he's not the kind of perfect leader that they all seem to make out that he is. Um, I'm not sure I'd quite agree with your suggestion of him thinking as a villain, um, but it's not too far off, I'd say. Um, but of course, one of the, the, the key plot here is the fact that he is up for assassination. And as you mentioned, uh, Farhad, his brother, is the one that's orchestrating it from the inside. You also mentioned the tropes, actually, while I'm on it. Um, not only did we have the classic government insider, government conspiracy type trope, we also had the, there's a mole, and here's who, here's who it is, but actually, guess what? It's not that person with uh, Meredith Reed. I'm not particularly keen on that, but um, anyway. I mean, what purpose did did Meredith Reed really serve other than to throw us off the scent of Hassan's brother? That's it. That's her only reason. And quite frankly, <laughs> and it kind of played because it's revealed sort of 15 minutes into the next episode that he is the true mole. And I kind of, I, I, I quite liked that because I wouldn't have wanted it to be dragged out forever that Meredith Reed, oh, she's, She's the one working against Hassan. She's the one that's working with with Davros and the terrorists. So yeah, she's yeah, that's her definitely. And then like three hours later, oh no, actually it's Farhad. I don't think that would have worked. 
I, I say I don't. I'm not keen on the the bait and switch with Meredith Reed. I'd have much more enjoyed it had it just outright been Fahad's working with with the terrorists. You know, I look at look at the way that Walt, the Walt Cummings reveal was handled in season five. Like that, that's ideal for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't think she serves much of a purpose. I like their breakup scene. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, did we, did we really, I mean, I know she was there to draw suspicion away from, from, uh, Hassan's brother. I know that much. And I know that she originally, her description was that she was an interviewer who was doing a piece on Hassan. Did we really need the affair storyline? I mean, couldn't she still draw suspicion away from Hassan's brother if she was just an interviewer who was get, who was doing a piece on him, so she had to get close to him? Did we really need the fact that, oh, they were also sleeping together? Yeah, I don't think we did. I mean, I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, to me that to me that seems like a case of overbooking it. It's 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 um it's too much for us is is you know keep it simple. And I feel like they didn't they didn't keep it simple because they wanted to add too many layers to the storyline. And I felt like Meredith Reed should have just been a reporter who was doing a story on Hassan and she was using her credentials as a reporter to gain his trust so that she could, at least from CTU's point of view, so she could get information to the terrorist. That should have been CTU's point of view on why she was, on why they think she's the mole. The, the added storyline of, oh, they're also sleeping together just seems like unnecessary because they didn't really follow up on it. I mean, there was, there was like him and his wife had like what, maybe one conversation about it. If that, so it, it, it didn't really feel like it added anything to the show. No. And I think the, the, the whole thing exists purely to show the divide between <clears throat> um, Dahlia and Omar. I, I think that's, pretty much it and there are so many better ways you could do that um yeah not a fan uh, the thing i am a fan, so many ways I, yeah the thing i am a fan of though is um the, the the bomb threat and the assassination attempt itself i mentioned it before the suspense versus surprise thing and it's very much the exact hitchcock example here that they place the bomb under the manhole cover you get 10 minutes of suspense rather than five seconds of surprise when it goes off and almost kills yeah. cole that, that like i'm not a massive fan well i i, I say i'm not a fan i think farhad is terrible i think he's absolutely terrible as a villain um particularly in relation to working <laughs> against his brother and, and trying to kill him davros is okay i, I quite like dyke hutchinson there is a i thought there was a very almost andre drazen like feeling to him in, in the way that he kind of in his first appearance that expectation and that impatience, that ordering around of the guys that had failed to kill Victor first up, 
that that sort of overbearing type that Andre often was. <coughs> and I mean, he's really calm up until the point where Cole intervenes and then he panics. Um, but I, I kind of thought that that was fairly compar- comparable. But very much the, the the bomb threat itself, even though we kind of knew, and, and that plays into it, doesn't it? That we knew the, the the bombs supposedly planted inside the UN were not there, that this was completely fake and this was what CT were meant to believe in order for him to blow Hassan up on the outside. But it, it works. It really works for me that you have 10 minutes there of, well, Hassan could die. He's Enel uh, Kapoor's main cast, of course, but you know, if, if you're not paying attention to that, this is a character that is you've met three episodes ago. Of course, he can die. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> the 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 bomb sequence was good. The um, and we're and we're we're talking about the scene where he races out of the garage and Cole turns in front of him. Okay. Want to make sure we were talking about the same one. Um, that particular scene was made even more suspenseful by what happened to Jack previously. <laughs> you know, when he was getting interrogated by those police officers and he was basically getting the crap kicked out of him. Um, until finally the the I guess the young rookie officer, so to speak, kind of stepped in and intervened. Um that that whole thing was suspenseful because of the fact that you knew that there was a mole and you knew that Meredith Taylor was not it. Okay, I mean, I've I have nothing against the actress, but number one, 24 rarely reveals moles this early in the game. I mean, she was she was taken in what episode three, episode two. Meredith was it episode Meredith yes well I mean she got arrested and five minutes later Farhad was revealed so we knew that it wasn't her we knew that the plan was still going on but but listen to the 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 reveals of previous seasons the Walt Cummings reveal the the I mean every season pretty much has a mold just about and you've got to understand that you know, when it when you're ranking all the moles, Parade is probably he may not be last on the list, but he's close to it. He, I mean, he's not because, the worst in this season, but we'll come to that. <laughs> he's definitely not the worst in this season, but he's he's definitely one of the worst because he doesn't have that intimidation factor. Like he doesn't he doesn't sound threatening. He doesn't sound like somebody that is malice, that has no malice, that has no remorse, that has no feeling. He doesn't he doesn't have that. And I think that's what's missing um, in the reveal is that you first of all, you knew it was coming. Because he just has that look about him, that you just you you knew it was even if you haven't seen the season before, you knew that the reveal of Farah was coming because it just made too much sense. Um, and it made absolutely no sense for Meredith to be the mole, which we know how I feel about things that don't make sense, Bradley. So 
<laughs> so for that reason alone, even though it made sense for him to be the mole, I still don't like his character because his character just it it lacked it lacked the believability factor. Like there's no way that I can that I as a viewer can believe that Farad is running this operation. And up until the point they turn on him. But it is hard for me to believe that Farad is the one that's running this operation. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, that you kind of, you don't consider <clears throat> because of how, just because of how he escapes and, and how that whole thing plays out. But you're right, that he is the one calling the shots here. Davros is the assassin. And then Farhad is working with Sergei Mazayev to, to get the nuclear rods. But also, and, and, and obviously Samir becomes sort of the, is the general, but Farhad is the, the orchestrator of the whole plot because he, as we learn from, from Bazaev that he wanted to kill his brother to then take over as head of state and sort of reintroduce the nuclear, nuclear program, I guess, and, and pull out of the peace talks or whatever. Like really? I mean, really far? <laughs> that's your plan? Really? That you seriously thought this was going to work? Uh, it's just, yeah, I don't. I'm not keen on it. He he seems, I mean, he seems competent as the chief of staff, I guess, but as a sort of terrorist ringleader, no, I'm not having it. Um, he he comes he comes across to me as a a a good second or third in command. Yes, like he's like he can he can help with a mission, but having him as the point person as the 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 main point of contact um for the ground operation at least it it just doesn't it doesn't resonate with me as believable because of the fact that it doesn't and and another thing is that the the people that he supposedly is in charge of don't look like they fear him I mean, for somebody that's supposed to be running things that, you know, they don't have this, like, it looks more like they're just doing it as a matter of convenience, as opposed to somebody that they respect as their leader. And I don't think that there's that respect factor, like they, like they know that he's the one calling the shots. Like, it sounds to me like they're just waiting for their time to kind of cut him out of the deal. Like, he's a matter of convenience that's helping them achieve their goal until they don't need him anymore. He's completely hapless to me. (laughs) Yes. And leaders are supposed to be the ones cutting people out. You know, (laughs) their subordinates are not supposed to be plotting to cut them out. And I just feel like he's incredibly naive because if you look at, if you look at the, who, who's the main, the main assassin, what's his name? Tavros. Tavros. If you, if you look at the way he talks to Farhad, mm. it, it, he does, he talks to him like somebody that doesn't particularly care for him, that if it was up to him, he would put a bullet in his head and just go about his business. Well, he's hired, isn't he? 
Yes. That's it 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 sounds to me like he doesn't even want to be talking to Fahad, but he knows that at this point in time, he has to. And I think that's one of the key aspects that I don't think Farhad picked up on, obviously, is that the people that he was supposedly in charge of didn't really want to take orders from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't meet him yet, but um, Samir, when he eventually comes in, in in the episodes we'll talk about next week, you kind of feel like he would be the leader, whereas I think sort of having not got there on the rewatch yet, he he's more of the general, whereas he's yeah. clearly far more a commander than Farhad is. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm not keen on Farhad at all. I don't I don't mind him being a mole, but being the quote unquote big reveal, um, I felt left a little bit to be desired because I felt like it could have been used on somebody else. Um, yeah. What what was the, what was the name of the um, Hassan's right-hand man that was sleeping with his daughter? Taryn. Taryn. I felt like, even though I wasn't 100% sold on that one either, I felt like that reveal, you know, he faked his death and, and you know, he's working with the East. He set Hassan's daughter up and everything like that. I felt like that was a better reveal than the Farhad reveal. Mm. Even though, like I said, I wasn't 100% sold on that one either. Yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's a conversation for next week in more detail. Um, for the moment, we're in the position of the nuclear rods. So the attempt on Hassan's life has been averted, but ultimately part of the plan was also to acquire these nuclear rods. And um, it's uranium-235, weapons grade, and they're in New York, essentially. Um, and in order to acquire the or, or to try and reacquire them, CTU enlists the help of former FBI agent and podcast favorite Renee Walker. Uh, who has been dismissed from the FBI uh, after her interrogation of Alan Wilson. We talked about that before. And she's in quite a hole from a mental state. Um, I think this is very much the strongest plot so far uh, from the first six episodes by by some margin um, with, with, with the approach towards her mental state. Well, I think, I mean, look at, look at, look at Renee. I mean, from the moment she's introduced, just look at her face. Like you can see, like she's despondent. Like she has that same glazed off look in her eyes that she had toward the end of season seven. And I think this was probably a pretty big character development on her part. Like I, I, I love her acting in this because she looks like a person who's broken. Like she looks like a person whose last 18 months have really broken her to the point to where she doesn't really know what her purpose is. And I think <clears throat> that's another her her look, the look in her face kind of reminds me of the look in Audrey's face toward the end of season six, other than the fact that Renee can actually speak to people. But other than that, you know, the glazed off look in their eyes, the despondent look in their eyes, it just, it's, it's so good because it, you can see what told the last 18 months have done to her. 
I think it's probably a little bit more Martha Logan at times in season five when she's going to be confined to the um, to the facility and when uh, the president tells her about all of his misgivings from that that day. I think, yeah, I, the the thing actually you said there was that she kind of looked like she did at the end of season seven, and very much that there was the sort of a picture in my head there of her look when she found out about Larry's death sort of superimposed in my mind on top of what she looks like in this season or, or at times in, in these stretch of episodes. And it's virtually identical. I think Annie Wershing is absolutely brilliant in this. Um, she was good in season seven in, in those particular things we highlighted with, with Jack and dealing with the, the emotions of the day. But this is, this is phenomenal. I absolutely love the scene at the waterfront where Vladimir Tannen's going to kill her and she essentially says, well, yeah, just do it. Like I, I, I have nothing else. So if you're not going to, if you're not going to do the deal with me, then you might as well. Um, it's very tragic. It's very, it's, it's fairly dark for 24. 24 doesn't usually go or it hasn't often gone quite this dark in terms of uh, mental health and, and suicide and things like that. You know, we've had we've had fits and starts here and there with Erin um, Driscoll's daughter and Kim's state of mind in season five, and obviously the stuff with Audrey. It has sometimes dipped into this market, but this feels the most raw, the most powerful, the most in depth that they've done. Um, and I, th- I, th- I think it really works. I, I, I'm, I'm really happy with with this this plot I, th- I think it's um i think it's really strong and it's 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 a plot that really carries on throughout almost till you know the the her final scene mm. is you 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 get a sense that she's lost her job like you, like you even see one of the few times that she actually cracks a smile is when Hastings is in the in the office and he's asking her to go back in, and he says, "I can all, I can get you your badge back," and she looks at him and kind of smirks and said, "You know, I put my badge down, Mister Hastings. You know, <laughs> what makes you think I would want it back?" Um. Because it's to the to the point where you know she lost her job, Larry got killed. Um, obviously, I think the thing with Marika in season seven still weighs on her. Um, everything that she went through, I think, is as you know, Jack was able to move on and kind of kind of pick himself up so to speak but I think you finally see that she's not that kind of person um I mean we find out eventually that you know she's kind of twisted you know when she cut the guy's arm off but before that you kind of get the sense that she's not taking this the same way that Jack would because she looks, she looks broken. Like the the her facial expressions and the way she talks to the terrorist, 
and the way she acts, it just, it sounds to me like she knew that she was going to die and she was at peace with it. And I felt like that was probably one of the key things is that she knew she was going to die and she was at peace with it. And that, and that is a dangerous <laughs> attitude to have if you're going undercover with the Russian syndicate. What's the point that Jack makes, isn't it? That this is why he's so concerned and why he so wants to pull her out. Like I say that that scene I mentioned at the waterfront, one of the strongest scenes of the whole season. Um, and, and it illustrates exactly that. Jack mentioned that she knew he knew that she tried to kill herself at least once. And yeah, it is very much this is not an act with with Vladimir Leitan, and this is not a, a a way of trying to keep her cover intact. This is genuinely how she feels and, and you, you've seen that we, we, we it's rare that the cover kind of feeds into the real life but people always say that the best lie is rooted in truth right so yeah renee needs this deal she says that's the lie and says that she's sick of living like this that's the truth and and so everything's so so much more believable as a result um we'll talk about the end of that plot next week because that is a, a next week discussion uh the one thing i do want to just briefly mention and it will feed in nicely to our final topic of the day uh which is mm-hmm. just the general beyond the the really interesting stuff with renee's mental state the the drawback of it the bit i don't like is just how grim it is particularly in the way of her and vladimir and the abuse that he'd given her over the years when he, she was undercover before and the way she gives himself up to her, uh, sorry, gives herself up to him, um, disposes of the comm unit. We all know what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I, that's the one part of this plot that I just don't like. Just feels wrong. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a it's a plot thread that twenty four hasn't really explored before. Like it's something that it's a subject matter that they haven't really dive, dive into. I mean, they did a little bit in season one with Terry, uh, when she was taken hostage. Um, but kind of was it the same thing? Because, I mean, there were implications and, you know, there were hints that something had happened, but you didn't know for sure. It's very briefly what? moved on from, isn't it? The, the, it's one scene and then it's kind of gone. And and there's like a, there's a mention of it later in, in treating Terry, and then it's and then it's gone. Yes, it's 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 addressed in kind of a a side a sideways kind of way, and then it's you know maybe a couple of scenes and that's it. Whereas this particular scene. You knew what was happening. You knew because I mean they they came back from the scene and and you know Renee's putting her clothes on and, and things like you knew what happened. I mean it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. So that you know I felt like this was the first like overt you know direct correlation to you know rape and and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not a fan of it, but then again, when you look at the overall grimness of season eight as a whole, 
it doesn't really stand out because the there's not there's not very many positive aspects about season eight. There's not very much positivity. I mean, and 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 that and that has nothing to do with my personal views on the storylines. I'm just talking about the way that they played out. I mean, there was a there was like one or two scenes where Jack and Renee were happy, you know, in the in the hotel room before Renee got shot, you know, and they were smiling and laughing and stuff like that. But that was like what five minutes? So I mean, in the overall plot of season eight, there's not that much to be happy about. I mean, just look how season eight ended. I mean, there's not that much positivity that you can look at and say, well, you know, this this was, yeah, it was kind of grim, but at least this happened. There's not a lot of that in season eight. There's not a lot of winning situations, kind of, so to speak. I suppose for me, it's the fact that Renee <clears throat> is feeling very empty and, and it kind of played into that, but it's just the, the putting herself in this position to suffer again. That's the, that's it. That's where it kind of feels a little bit gratuitous for me. Um, but yeah, it's not not great. The other thing, and this is where it's going to feed in, is that then, I mean, watching this again in 2021, it just feels so much worse. Um, everything involving Dana, and in particular in relation to two characters, one is Arlo and the other is Kevin. The stuff with Dana and Arlo is just, oh, good Lord. I mean, he's, he's awful. <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> Arlo, Arlo, Arlo cracks me up. Um, <laughs> um, he's he's the perfect example of this this perverted and and you know grotesque character that you just you kind of when you look at him you just want to punch him in the face. Mm. <laughs> but he does make, but he does. He does make some interesting, you know, comments. He he does have some some nice scenes here and there, like when he when he gave um, when he gave Cole Dana's location. Which had he not done that, Dana probably would have killed both of them. Um. So, which they both ended up dying anyway, but and we haven't got to that anyway. So, <laughs> so that so that 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 was a good that was a good scene. So Arlo had some had some okay scenes. He became a more likable character after Dana was gone. After Dana was gone, I thought that he was more tolerable. But before Dana was before Dana left, it seemed like he was just there as a nuisance. Mm. Kind of like, kind of, kind of like Morris O'Brien in season. What was it, five or six? Well, he came in at the end of season um, five, and then was in season six. Was his season? I was going to make that comparison because Morris, Morris had that. Like his first scene is his um, giving advice to one of the CTU workers while Chloe gets him signed off, and then there's the whole shtick about like he's picked the most attractive one. No, no, that's Chloe. I, but but there is a there's a there's a charm to it. And, and Carlo Rota is is such a joy to watch, and it never feels like it crosses that line. Whereas Arlo, like the first one, kind of jarred on me a little bit, and then the the first comment I should say, and that was quite early on. And then it just it never stops. It just it just never stops. He keeps on making these comments, and you kind of like, well, really, 
like we got it the first time that you're clearly alone and clearly wanting whatever like <laughs> we, we get it just just shut up about it i don't care and yeah it doesn't paint ctu in a particularly good light Yeah, Chloe caught on to it pretty quickly um, when talking to Arlo. And she was kind of, her comments toward Arlo is kind of basically what we all were thinking watching those watching those scenes. <laughs> yeah, very Chloe like um, as well. Yeah, is 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 and I'm I'm pretty sure she probably saw a little bit of Morris as well when she was when she was, you know, listening to Arlo because he's he's very Morris O'Brien like except for the charm factor like his comments were more on the uh, crude nature whereas Morris was more of him trying to charm uh, whoever he was talking to like it was part of his it was part of his charm his personality whereas Arlo it just felt like he was just you know, for for no intents and purposes, just trying to get in the girl's dance. Mm. So that's that's why that's why I felt that's the difference in that I felt like Morris's was more natural, whereas uh, Arlo's was more manufactured. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah, I, it's just a very grim working environment. Um, and I, I wasn't really keen on it and similarly grim i keep on using this word but there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't sit well with me in, in these six episodes and that's the dynamic between dana and kevin we can talk at length and we probably will in future, in next week's episode as well when it all ends the role of kevin and how bad this whole thing is but i mean the dynamic between them two is jesus like just awful he's he is horrible and you know we get we get the suggestion um that she was a minor when they got arrested makes it even worse um yeah yep. it, there is there is i don't think there is any anything likable about this plot the whole the whole narrative of it of of dana being this ex-con jenny scott from rock springs and she somehow managed to find herself and carve herself a new life at CTU and, and is this good-natured government worker now with a sort of action hero fiancé and <laughs> this guy that she used to steal things with and was an, uh, an accomplice to a murder with um, comes in, tries to ruin her life, has to, she has to do this thing for her and for him and, and help him get some money. Like it's just, come on, come on, really? Well, well, well I, I, I guess you know, and of course we find out later in the season that she's another mole. But you know, to you know, I'm gonna go ahead and 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 address the the guy from last week who said that I didn't catch the Nina reveal because there were so many hints of it early in the season. You caught this, so one. I. So I, I guess I guess you could say that, you know, them revealing that, you know, she was Jenny Scott and that she had this mysterious past. I guess you could say that that was probably the first real hint that she might not be as 
much of a a uh, good character as they portrayed her to be the first couple of episodes. I don't think any character um, before Dana has had a double reveal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it should it should have become clear then that she's probably not going to make it to the end of the season. She's definitely um, trustworthy. Yeah, that's that's the first the first inclination that okay, so what else do we not know about this Dana Walsh? Um and 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 then you know the fact that she helped them rob a rob a what was it a uh evidence lockup? Yeah, evidence lockup. So it's it's just seven it's just and those are things like okay, that's not really what a, a upstanding government agent should be doing. So it's, it's so it's kind of the the hints from from Dana, you know, contrary to what the guy said last week, the hints from Dana were a lot more evident, a lot more out there than the subtle hints of of Nina in season one. And it just you also when you when you look at season eight, you see the parallels from season eight to season one. Like they tried to mirror it a lot when you look at the certain relationships and the reveals and you know things of that nature from season eight to season one. And I felt like they kind of failed in a lot of respects. Um, but I did I did like Dana as a character aside from the whole Kevin Wade storyline. That's most of her character. That's well, it ended fairly quickly. though. I mean, it only lasted like what three or four episodes. Mm, Nine. Doesn't end in this. It doesn't end in this section that we're talking about. Now we're going to have to talk about it again next week. Um, The thing that the grates on me actually a lot is that Dana is made to seem smarter than Chloe and, and sort of made to seem this, this brilliant um, analyst, but they yeah, do this, like that. but they do that. The thing, the reason that I don't like it and, and possibly you don't like it is that they do it not by making Dana seem brilliant, but by making Chloe seem incompetent and, and kind of playing on the fact that we know that Chloe is the best. We had this last season with, against Janice that, she outhacked Janice and and you know kept her out of the FBI thing, kept her out of the wherever else, and, and was clearly better than her FBI counterpart. And they had that nice little friendship moment at the end. Love that, fully on board with that. But then, yeah. like, this isn't a you know this isn't a dynamic power struggle. This isn't isn't someone trying to prove themselves. This is Chloe's try, Chloe's in this position of having to try and establish herself. While you've got Dana lording over her being like, you know, you can ask for help if you need it. And Hastings being on the verge of firing her and everyone kind of thinking that she's this useless analyst because she can't get used to these new systems, even though we know that she's the best there is. Like, I, I just, I'm not keen on it. I don't see, I don't see how that was a thought to go, let's make Dana seem really smart by making Chloe seem really stupid. And it's something they rectify like they rectify it fairly quickly, don't they? Because three episodes in, or four episodes in, I should say, when the the assassination attempt is averted, suddenly Hastings trusts Chloe because she was right about all the stuff with with Davros and with Meredith Reed. 
and they feel very much on sort of a, a, a level par. Yeah. I, I just don't know why we needed to have the, the stuff in the first few episodes. Um, I mean, how, how much time did you say passed between season seven and season eight? 18 months? 18 months, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's think about this now. Like, I already told you how I, I'm not a fan of how Hollywood CTU looked in season eight. You know, I, I, I like the greediness of CTU. Um, but in 18 months, I mean, we, we know Chloe to be one of the, the master hacker, computer nerd, whatever you want to call her. So are we to honestly believe that technology had advanced so far in 18 months that all of a sudden she couldn't figure out in season eight what would have took her 30 seconds to figure out in season seven? I think this is part of the problem, isn't it? Because season seven in the FBI, it kind of looks like your standard office. You know, you could like if you it's it, it's one of those things you think of the um, the the Rockland building in season four and the IT systems department where Marlon was working for the override. And then you look at the FBI main office area, and I kind of look at that and think, mm, is there much difference? It just looks fairly similar. You know, CTU, uh, the old CTU had that, that kind of, all, all the technology was clearly that kind of uh, era um, and, and looks very dated now, but, it had that feel of a fairly advanced office, even if, you know, it's still 2006 or whatever. Um, but this, this just kind of feels so technological, all the touch screens, all the like non non screen screens, almost the sort of the holographic type things that, that yeah, it, it just feels so far advanced. Um, you're right. I, I don't buy that Chloe, being the master that she is has suddenly gone oh i don't actually know how to operate any of this stuff but this is what yeah, this, is the, this is this is the point this is my point that you don't need to dumb chloe down just highlight the fact that dana is ridiculously good like they're yeah you can put them on a level pegger you don't yeah i don't like it uh, i'm not i'm not a fan either because it just it goes back to that believability factor like, am I supposed to believe that between season seven, when she told Larry that their systems were incredibly slow and why have they not upgraded their system? And 18 months later, all of a sudden she has no idea what's going on or what she's, or what she's doing, that the new CTU systems are supposed to be so much different than 18 months prior. It just doesn't, it doesn't sound realistic to me. And I think that, I think that they probably realized that, which is why they rectified it kind of fairly quickly. Um, and I think that, you know, they kind of, especially, especially Hastings. Hastings is another guy that not really very much of a likable character. I mean, I, I hated, <laughs> I mean, I hated, I hated the whole, when he, when he's on the phone and, you know, he gets ready to get off the phone and he has this little pin and he just presses it like, I'll call you back. And then he just presses this button on a pen or whatever it was. It just, it, it sounds like he was, I mean, I like the actor. Don't get me wrong. I just think he was probably miscast in this role because it looks like he's trying too hard. 
and the the dynamic between him and Chloe, at least to start the season, just felt like another one of those classic forced 24 plots that is there just for filler. Mm. Very much he plays into the Chloe is stupid <laughs> dynamic and, and trying to make everyone else look really smart. He but, started uh, it. <laughs> oh yeah yeah he, he's a he's a massive part of that but um there'll be plenty of time to talk about hastings and um his incompetence shall we say in in future weeks and, and potentially when we wrap up the season as well um but that's it for today uh that's the first six episodes pretty much covered um and we'll be back next week to talk about uh episodes 7 through 12 that's uh 10 p.m till 4 a.m um lots more kevin chat which is, um, yeah, not, not ideal. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us and leave us some, some thoughts, uh, then you can do that in a variety of ways. Uh, we've got the Twitter, which is at the 24th podcast. Uh, you can go to 24faithful.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 405-771-0567. And if you do that, we can play it out on the podcast and uh, potentially comment on your thoughts as well. Um, But like I say, that's it this week. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again next week.